Amen. All right. If you haven't gotten one yet or you need one, there's Bibles on the back table. Mr. Corey's arms are full tonight, so you have to go get your own Bible. Don't put the baby down, Mr. Corey. We're going to be, hey, what book are we in? First John. First John, yes. Thank you. I'm glad you guys know that. Do y'all know how long we've been in this book so far? Who's, who's, who's? Five months? Five weeks? No. This is, this is week number eight that we have been in this book. And did somebody say two months? Okay, I, I thought I heard it. I just couldn't tell who it was. All right. So, yeah, we've been in this book for this. Tonight will be two months, and uh, we've got two more weeks in this book. We'll finish out chapter five over the next two weeks. So let me ask you guys a question. How do you know if you belong to something? For instance, how do you know you belong to your family? Okay, your last name. What's that? I can't hear you. Your birth certificate? Okay. You could still have the same last name, and you would still have a birth certificate. Harper. You don't know? Okay, so you're not claiming any relation to this guy over here. Taylor. Okay, you were born into your family. Your mom told you so. Okay, that, that's important. Dalton. On a literal piece of property. Okay, Peyton. Medical records. Bloodline. Pictures. Okay, so you've you just been hanging out with him for a long time. McKenna, up in the sound booth. Curly hair. Okay, all right. All right, so we've got a lot of different ways that you know you belong to your family. All right, let's, let's change it up then. All right, you ready? For those of you who have ever played like on a sports team or been in a band, how do you know you belonged there? You were part of that. Tucker. Matching uniforms. Okay, let's get some folks who haven't answered yet. I have a t-shirt to prove it. Okay. What's that? You work together as a team, okay? All right, Dalton, Dalton's like dying over here. Yes, Dalton. Ridiculous amount of money we had to pay to get into it. Okay, yeah, that that yeah, you're talking about band right now. I know what you're talking about. Yes, Oliver up top. When your coach knows your name. Okay, so so what you're telling me is this. Tell tell me if I'm hearing this correctly. There is evidence in your life that you belong to those things, right? So, for, for instance, some of the things I wrote down say you belong to your family. Now, you can't see your bloodline. Like, you, you don't know, unless you see a family tree picture, you can't physically see the bloodline. However, some of you in here, you look very much like your mom or your dad, or a pretty good combination of the two. All right? So, there's physical evidence. Or like Eli said, I've just been hanging out with him for a long time, so I stay there. You, you spend time with your family. There's pictures. Maybe there's family traits. There's things about you that look like your parents. Or when it comes to a team, you guys said it, you've got the matching jerseys, the band, you've paid all the money to be in there, you literally have the t-shirt that says that. So in every one of those things, there's external evidence. You listening? There's external evidence that you belong. Okay, so now let's take this to our spiritual life for a second. How do you know you belong to God? He created us. Okay. He did. But how do you know you have a relationship with him? How do you know you belong to God? 
Okay? You got baptized. You got wet. How do you know you belong to God? It's a question for everybody. Okay, he refers to us as his children, but how do you know you belong to him? Eli. Okay, others see a reflection of him in your lives. Micah? Reading the Bible? Okay. Yeah? Okay. All right, Brock? What's that? There's fruit that you bear. Okay. Peyton? We follow him. That's a lot of good evidence. I wrote down a couple things that, that I thought you might say some of these, but you guys didn't say most of it. Um, does going to church prove that you belong to God? No. Does singing the songs prove that you belong to God? No. Does giving money to the church prove that you belong to God? No. Does going to camp prove that you belong to God? No. no. Now, a lot of those things may give a hint, may give a hint that there's evidence in your life that you actually do belong to God, but you can go through a list of a thousand different things that can make you look like a Christian, but doesn't actually make you a disciple of Jesus. Because there's got to be evidence of it in your life. All of those things will give a hint that maybe you belong to God, but they're not guaranteed. There has to be evidence of this. There has to be evidence in your life that you have experienced salvation from your sins. You guys gave some really good answers, but the only way you know 100% for sure that you belong to God is if you have asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and you've put your faith and trust in him and you are pursuing him with your whole life. That's how you know. And as we get into this book tonight, as we get into this last part of chapter four, what we find is that there is some evidence in our life. You know, a lot of times um, there, there's people who, who wonder, you know, did, did, I, did I make a decision? Did I really put my faith and trust in Jesus? Did he really save me? Is, is all of this real? I'm not really sure. And when we look at this passage tonight, what we see is that there are some things in your life you can be sure. You can know 100% without a doubt that you belong to God. And that's the picture that our author is painting tonight. So as we get into it, we're going to walk through. There's three different things that we see tonight. And as we walk through these, I want you to be asking yourself this question in the back of the mind, in the back of your mind, is this evidence in my life? If you sit here tonight and you say you're a disciple, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you see the evidence that the author talks about tonight in your own life to know that you really belong to God? Now, please understand, I am not trying to make anybody in here doubt if they really made a decision. Because if you say you did, awesome, wonderful. I celebrate that with you because that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. But if you're sitting here tonight and you already wonder, you're not sure, there's things you can look at in your life and see is the evidence actually there. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand like we always stand in honor of reading of God's word. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse... Wait, wait, wait. We didn't do the questions. Have a seat. I will make you stand for the questions. Who wrote the book? John. John. What are the other books we believe you wrote? And John, yes, absolutely. Remember, these books are actually anonymous. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but... 
when you sit down and the scholars have compared them to the other books that John wrote, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of phrases, the theology is the same. So these are credited to John. So when do we believe he wrote this? 90 to 95 AD. There we go. Yes, a long time ago. Somebody says that every week. Who did he write this to? People. To people. Specific people. The church. The church. He wrote this to believers. He wrote this to disciples of Jesus. And what is the main idea? That's why he wrote it. That's right. You're right. That is exactly why he wrote it. He wrote it to warn people and to encourage people. But what, what's the main idea? Wait, who said it? You hit it every week, Cassidy. Truth, obedience, and love. As we've walked through this book, you see those three things at the forefront over and over and over again. And you're going to see some of those things come to the front again tonight. So now, stand. And Miss Logan Drotty is going to come read our passage for us tonight. First John. That, that was like... The laziest yay I've ever heard. <laughs> All right. Verses 13 through 21, Miss Logan. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified the Father has sent, this, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. When, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and to and have believed that the love that God is for us. God is love, and the one who abides in, in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and we, the one who fears, is not perfected in love. We love because he first loves us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, because the one who does not love his brother, whom has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I think this mic is off. Yes. No, it's on. It's not? Okay. All right. Hey, let's pray. God, we thank you for today again. We thank you uh, that we can be here, Lord. I thank you for the time that we have tonight to, to walk through this passage and, and see what it tells us, the assurance that we can have because of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Miss Logan. All right. So let's just walk through. I told you, how many evidences did I tell you were in this passage? Three. There's three. So the very first one is this. If you have experienced salvation, if you have truly put your faith and trust in God, the first evidence you see in this passage is that you've received the Holy Spirit in your life. Look at what it says right there in verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's evidence number one. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you understand that you are a sinner, there are consequences for your sin, and you can't pay the debt that is owed for your sin. There's nothing you can do to make things right between you and God. So God had to step in and make things right for you and I. And when you understand that, and when you ask God to forgive you through what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb, and you put your faith and trust in him, scripture tells us that in that moment, your life is sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. 
It becomes a permanent part of who you are. Now, it's not like you're possessed. It doesn't take you over and make you start doing things you don't want to do. But what this Holy Spirit of God does is it starts to help you understand who God is. As you read the Bible, it helps you start to understand what God's Word says and what it means for your life. Now, this is different than the Old Testament. If you go back and you read through the Old Testament, there were specific times that God would send the Holy Spirit onto specific people for specific tasks, but the Holy Spirit didn't stay with them. The Holy Spirit would go to them, would help them do what they had to do for God, and then the Holy Spirit would leave. Do do y'all know of any people in the Old Testament like that? What's that? Who said that? Yeah, Saul's one of them. David. David. Who else? No? Have you ever heard of Samson before? No. Or Gideon? Go back and read the book of Judges. There's some cool stuff in Judges. But you see guys like that, where the Holy Spirit comes on them, they do what God wants them to do, and then the Holy Spirit leaves them. And you've got kings, like we've already mentioned here. You've got um, Saul. You've got, um, you've got a guy by the name of Joshua. We've talked about Joshua before, right? In the Old Testament, Moses died. Be strong and courageous. He takes the people into the promised land. That guy, Joshua. When you go through the Old Testament, you see that's how the Holy Spirit operated with God then. But then when you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus. And when Jesus is baptized, what happens? Yeah, what, what, what is the dove? God, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, hey guys, it's one of, the, one of the very few places in Scripture where you see God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same place at the same time. It's one of the very few places you see that. But you see there. Now, did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? I mean, he, he's already part of the Trinity. He's already there. But what you saw there is you saw the Trinity. You saw the triune God come together in one spot. And then what Jesus did when Jesus rose from the tomb after he spent time with his disciples, after he appeared to all of these people, he told the disciples, he said, I'm leaving, but there's a helper coming for you. And then we get into the book of Acts, and that's, that's what's known as Pentecost. That's the day that the Holy Spirit came and became a part of the disciples' lives and the believers' lives permanently. And because we see that in the New Testament and we see how God now operates from that moment on, Scripture tells us that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that same Holy Spirit lives in your life. And we see in the New Testament that's confirmed by guys like John and by guys like Paul. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 16, he said, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's that phrase some of you guys quoted earlier. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And even earlier in this book, just a chapter ago, John wrote in 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've experienced salvation, then the Holy Spirit is a part of your life. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps you understand God's word. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps you pursue Jesus every single day. So answer that question for a second in your own life. Do you have that evidence? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Do you know 
that you are pursuing God through his power. Because l- let me let you in on a secret. You can't pursue God by yourself. You can't even know that you need to be forgiven by yourself. It's God drawing you to him through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes you aware that you even need a relationship with God. Do you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life? That's evidence number one. The second one is this, is that you confess Jesus as the Son of God. 1 John 4, 14 and 15, listen. It says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So what John is talking about right there in that first verse 14, he's talking about his own experience. He's saying when when he says, we have seen and testify, he's talking about himself and he's talking about the other 11 disciples. They were there with Jesus. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw the miracles. They heard the lessons. They watched all of these things that happened when he was in a physical body on earth and they're testifying to what God has done. In fact, there's a time where where John is standing before leaders and and he actually tells them, we cannot stop but speaking what we have seen and heard. You can torture us, you can punish us, you can do whatever you want to. We have to talk about who Jesus is. Because he confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he goes on right there in verse 15, and he's talking about every other disciple who has come along since then. Every other single person since those 12 disciples that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in what these disciples wrote, who have trusted in what they have said, we weren't there. If we claim salvation, we we didn't get to see Jesus physically, did we? Did we? No. We didn't get to see the miracles that we read about in Scripture but we're trusting in the word of God. We're trusting in the testimony and the witness of those who were actually there. And when we do that, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That means we are confessing Jesus as the son of God. That's that's not a matter that's up for debate. And that's why John is writing. Remember, do y'all remember what the belief system was that, that we think he was fighting against or writing against in there? Does anybody remember what it was called? Gnosticism. If you want to say it phonetically, gnosticism, because there's a silent G at the front. And it was this idea, we talked about it before, that, that Jesus was not who everybody said he was. The two extremes of it were that, that Jesus, because the, the, the physical, according to Gnosticism, the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. So if you follow that line of logic, one school of thought was, if the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, well, if Jesus is supposed to be all good and he's supposed to be holy and just and righteous, then he couldn't have had a physical body because he can't be around all of that stuff. But if Jesus didn't have a physical body, then he didn't die. He didn't give up his life on the cross for us. But you can't die if you don't have a body. That was one school of thought. Another school of thought was that Jesus was just a man and that when he got baptized, that the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence came into him and then right before he was crucified, God left him. And if that's true, then what Jesus did on the cross didn't do anything for us. That's the problem with that belief system and that's what John is writing against here. 
And that's why he says that if you say you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have to confess Jesus as the Son of God. That's not up for debate. Because if you don't believe that he did what he said he did on the cross, if you don't believe that he was buried and that he rose from the tomb three days later, then, then you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And you're not a disciple. Because if you don't believe that, then you don't believe he has the power to forgive your sins. So ask yourself that question. Do I confess Jesus as the Son of God? That's evidence number two. And here's the third one. The evidence of your salvation is that you are abiding in love. We've talked about this one a lot, haven't we? Because John has come back to this topic over and over and over. Look at what it says in 1 John 4, 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We talked about that just a couple weeks ago when we walked through 1 John chapter 2, this whole idea of abiding in God. That, that means you're, you're resting in God, you're living in God, you're persevering in the love of God. Here's what that practically means. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what comes at you, the first place you turn to is God. Your first reaction when things go crazy, your first reaction when things don't make sense, whatever it is, whoever it is you turn to, that's your functional savior right there. That's the one that you think can help you. That's the one that you think can take care of everything. But if you're abiding in God and abiding in his love, your first reaction should be to trust in him and his plan for your life. No matter what stress comes up, no matter what anxiety, no matter what problems, it means you know with everything in you that God is with you as you face those things, that God is bigger than those things, that God has a plan to see you through those things. Because of the assurance you have, you can trust that God holds you and God will never let you go. Look at what he says next in verse 17. He says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We just sang about that in the song that we just sang. That whole idea of God is, we're, we're fighting a battle that God has already won. There's nothing for us to fear. There's going to be a day, what scripture tells us when you walk through here, there's going to be a day that every single one of us will stand in, in God, in front of God for judgment. That's what he's talking about right there. There will come a day. Let me read that again. It says, the, uh, da, 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 says we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Every single person for all time there will be a day when we will stand before God and we will be judged. But what he's saying here is that if you're abiding in the love of God, if you've put your faith and trust in him, you don't have fear on that day because you're trusting in what God has already done. 
You can stand before God with confidence that you will be declared holy and righteous, not because of who you are and not because of anything you've done to make you worthy, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And you can know that that love that we've talked about so much as we've walked through this book that God has lavished on your life, it's something that you cannot lose. Because when you belong to God, God is the one that holds you. And God doesn't let you go. So he says right there, you don't have to fear when you stand before God because that fear, that, that, that fear means you don't trust fully in the love of God. You guys know what it means to fear, right? Anybody in here ever thought you failed a test? Got a little bit of fear in you at that moment? Or how about this? You were more afraid because you knew your parents were going to find out that you failed the test and you were afraid of them? You, you know what fear looks like. Hey, guys, that is nothing compared to the fear of standing before a holy and just God without Jesus standing before us. And what he says right there is that if you've got your relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's forgiven you, you've put your faith and trust in him, you don't have to have fear. Because God's love is in you. God's love is perfected in you because of who he is. And that love is what saves you. When you have fear, you're saying that God's love is not big enough to cover your sins. You're saying that God's love is not big enough to hold you for eternity. But it is. That's what John is talking about right here. If you've trusted in Jesus and experienced salvation, then that fear has no place in your life because the love of God wipes it out completely. And then look at how he finishes this chapter. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We talked about this a lot last week, didn't we? If you've experienced the love of God in your life, you don't have the option to keep it to yourself. You've got to share it with others around you. John here is specifically talking about sharing it with other disciples other people who call themselves Christians, other believers. So for you, that would be the people in this room right here, right now. That would be the people that you go to church with on Sunday. Even the ones that you don't like. Even the ones that get on your nerves. High schoolers, I love you. And you talk all the time about the annoying middle schoolers, right? Let's be honest. Middle schoolers, I love you too. But hey, here's what I want to remind everybody. It wasn't that long ago you were that annoying middle schooler. Ask your adult leaders. They'll tell you the truth. Hey, high schoolers, look at me. You're called to love the middle schoolers. Even when they annoy you. Even when they're loud. Even when they go screaming through this room and you wonder, what in the world? Are they on fire? I don't know. You're called to love them. Middle schoolers, hey, hey, you're called to love high schoolers. You're called to love elementary schoolers. Can I, can I let you in on a secret? Hey, you're even called to love all the adults in the church. <laughs> Guys, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
you know the love of God in your life. That doesn't give us an option to choose whether or not we love other people, especially other believers. There's an expectation right there. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You can't say that you love God and don't like what God loves. You can't say that you love who God is and then refuse to love the image of God in somebody else. Because we're all created in the image of God. And you can't hate the image of God in somebody else if you know the love of God in your own life. It's not an option for us. We talk about evidence of salvation. It's a love for other people that doesn't make sense. It's a love for other people that when others look at you and think, how could you even talk to that person? You are able to say, because God loves me. So I can love them. That's, that's what we're called to do. That's what this whole passage is about. It's about actually pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And when you do that, you will see the evidence of it in your life. People should know who God is because they've been around you. People should know that you pursue Jesus because they can see God working in you. You should look different. You should act different. You should be different than a world that doesn't know Christ. There should be evidence of it in every one of our lives if we claim a relationship with Jesus Christ. And John continues to bring it back over and over and over again. It has to do with love. Let me read you a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe some of you have heard this at a wedding before. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. When we understand who we are, when we understand that we're sinners, when we understand that we need desperately more than anything for all of eternity, the forgiveness of God through what Jesus Christ has done. Scripture tells us in that moment we belong to Him when we put our faith and trust in Him and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the evidence that we belong to God, the evidence that we are His children, the evidence that we are on His team, the evidence that He has called us out of darkness and out of sin starts to show. And as you walk through that, other people begin to see it in your life. So as we've walked through that tonight, do you see those evidences of God in your life? Do you see the Holy Spirit working in and through you? Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God? And you will make a stand with that statement no matter who comes against it. And are you abiding in God? Are you resting? Are you persevering? Are you living in His love and who He's called you to be? Because if you are, it'll show. People will see it. And if you're here tonight 
and, and you're not sure the answer is yes to those questions, maybe you need to talk to one of the adults in the room tonight. Maybe you've got questions about your relationship. Maybe you've got questions about how to live this out. Go talk to him as soon as we start singing this last song. Get up, go find a friend who you know is walking with Christ, or go find one of the adults so that we can talk to you about what it looks like to live this out and to be who God has created you to be, to do what God has called you to do when you put your faith and trust in him. And you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt from tonight moving forward for the rest of your life, you belong to God and never have to question that again. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. God, we thank you for so many things that we don't even have time to go through tonight. God, thank you that you can help us know. Know without any question know with full assurance that we belong to you. And God, that you're the one that holds us. God, help us to cling to you every moment of every day. Help us to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Lord, help us to remember who Jesus is and to tell anybody who asks. And God, help us to rest in you, to abide in your love, to persevere in your love. Help us to be who you've called us to be. And God, if there's anybody in here tonight, maybe they have doubts, maybe they have questions. God, I pray right now, let them know your love. God, show them who they are in light of who you are. Show them their need for you the way you've shown me my need for you. God, help them to have the courage to take a step tonight and put their faith and trust in you. We thank you for your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.